Hi, this is John Barnes, and you're listening to Cop On. Hold fast to dreams, for if dreams die, life is a broken-winged bird that cannot fly. Hold fast to dreams, for when dreams go, life is a barren field frozen with snow. That was a poem by the excellent uh, poet, playwright, etc., Langston Hughes, one of the key players in the Harlem Renaissance. Uh, speaking of dreams, speaking of Renaissance, uh, this is Liverpool's 107th season. Or we're, we're about to start Liverpool's 107th season in the top tier of English football, having spent 11 seasons in the second tier. Um, and here to talk about our dreams, to talk about Liverpool's renaissance from the dark depths of third place, perhaps even higher. Uh, I've got in alphabetical order Abdul, Brian, Fergus and Liam to kick off season four of Cop On Podcast. Thank you to all of the listeners for listening. You are all lovely and Jubbly. You can email us coponpodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at coponpodcast. So, yes, the dreams, the pre season, everything sort of bubbling away. Uh, you know, we, we, we've signed Conate, who looks absolutely lovely. Uh, we played Mainz uh, yesterday as we're recording this last night Mainz uh in in a friendly uh and abdul i'm gonna i'm gonna come to you first uh what did you what what did you think of of Mainz? i thought there were there were some positives from that game did you did you see any positives yeah starting from the um uh, the lineup that Klopp put out obviously we started with two 30 minute games in the previous fixture um and yeah, this is our second fixture really of preseason, and Klopp came out of the came out of the barriers with all the guns blazing. Uh, started Konate and Matip as a centre back partnership. Obviously, there's been a lot of questions around Virgil and Gomez. Started with Trent with Simicas because um, Robbers only had one day of training. Kelleher and Goal, Cater um, Milner, and then interestingly Harvey Elliott in midfield. That's another one of the big shouts, one of the big uh, key decision things that we have to see this preseason. And then up front with Salah, Mane, and then Oxley chamberlain who's also been a good form. So yeah, our strongest team gave us a strong indication of what kind of team we'll have from the start of the season. So I'd say that's pretty much the strongest, uh, well, the most positive thing that we saw last night. And what do you make of, of Harvey Elliott uh, back there in the eight? It's a kind of Iniesta role on, on the other side. Iniesta played on, on the left-hand side of a midfield three and, and cut in on his right foot. And, and Harvey Elliott's doing the, the mirror image of that, you know, on, on the right side of, of, of the midfield three, coming in on his left foot or going outside. Um, I think he looks pretty damn talented, Abdul. What, 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 did, what did you make of Harvey Elliott? Yeah, looks really sharp. And like you said, he picks up that space in the right half space. So he's connecting a lot with Trent. Um, I saw Trent whip some balls straight into him, fizz them at him really, really hard. And Elliot would control them. He would turn inside, assess his options, sometimes go back to Trent. 
Sometimes you try ball out to Salah to stretch the play a little. Um, in general, though, it's just a good position. Just get him on the ball, let him uh, explore his variety of creative talents. And um, yes, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because Cop has spent the last few seasons going with that tried and tested midfield three of Genie, Henderson, Fabinho, Thiago recently last season as well, while Henderson's been injured. But it always seemed that Klopp wanted a, a solid midfield three who can press, provide all the energy, and then creativity can come from the fullbacks and goals can come from the wingers. It looks like Klopp is really trying to step things up in midfield this year by putting Harvey Elliott in there. It was interesting for me because he could have he could have gone with Curtis Jones in that position. And he has, at points last season, gone with Curtis Jones. But Harvey Elliott's starting even ahead of Curtis Jones in preseason so far. It is the second game, so maybe it isn't, um, there isn't too much to read into it. But I thought from the, the rest of the lineup, and then the fact that Harvey Elliott was in there, it says to me that Klopp has really been impressed with Harvey Elliott in the training sessions. Um, maybe rewarding him for the strength of his season last season as well in the championship with Blackburn. So, yeah, um, hopefully he gets more appearances to really flesh it out. But, yeah, he's got a bit of time now between now and the end of preseason when we should be expecting Henderson, Fabinho and Thiago to all come back. So, yeah, um, for, for, the, for whoever's in the midfield positions, if you stay fit and you get into some kind of rhythm, you have a good chance of starting in the first day. So, yeah, exciting times for Harvey. Lovely stuff, absolutely. Um, Brian, uh, what are you making of, of, of pre-season in general? And did you watch the, the Mainz match or do you just not bother with pre-season because it is pretty meaningless? Uh, I watch training routines. <laughs> Whatever is going, I'll watch it. <laughs> um, I, uh, I, I mean, I, I had a good, I have a like a, a sling box. So I had um, the first game the 30 the two 30 minute games on tuesday i i watched that and i had a cl- very clear picture of those games and then the Mainz game i had to watch it on a uh, an alternative uh <laughs> form of uh streaming shall we say and the quality wasn't great and it was on reasonably late here so i mean it seemed the first game i was quite taken the, the first couple of games i was quite taken about how good oxley chamberlain looked um against uh stuttgart um uh, last night um it just seemed it just seemed to me that it was a very um let's say tight game i suppose i don't know it seemed just very solid game from both sides uh it wasn't as exciting as watching the second half of stuttgart but i mean i think in overall i think we seem to be in a good place for like the second one out, the first full game of the of the, of, uh, of pre-season if, season, if you like, that the boys seem to be in reasonably good shape. But their, their touch is not too bad and uh, looks good. And 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 Harvey Elliott, you know, I'm a massive, massive, massive fan of Harvey Elliott. And uh, so far, everything's going swimmingly perfect for him. I think you know he did exactly what you would expect a young player to do if they go out on loan to be like the best player. Or one of the best players in that championship side, and not only that, he was—I think he was voted the young championship player of the year, was he? I don't know last season, but anytime I see him in this in the team and playing the ball, he's just—he just looks very, very reliable and very mature for 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 a footballer his age. So I'm really looking forward. He really reminds me of Sterling um, in terms of how there's very there's very few question marks when you see him play. Um, 
So yeah, so so far so good. I'm looking forward to the two, the next two games. I believe are at Anfield. I, um, so I'm looking forward to seeing them and perhaps on a on a better stream or maybe even I'll, I'll punt for LFC TV. Yeah, you can do. I was watching it on LFC TV, uh, and uh, it was uh, it was good. Yeah, it was it worked very well. Um, uh, Fergus, I'll come to you next. I mean, we finished last season uh, on sixty nine points with sixty eight goals, and Man City were ahead of us by fifteen goals on eighty three goals, and they were ahead of us by seventeen points on eighty six points. Um, Fergus, I was wondering if, you know, you feel that with the returning uh, defenders, Matip, Virgil and, and Joe, plus the uh, really promising looking Konate, you think that we can, you know, uh, you know, have a better defence? Because defensively we were uh, 10 goals, we conceded 10 goals more than them, uh, but also in attack... Fergus, we we can, you know, maybe with Chamberlain in that false nine position, I'm not convinced about him personally, but maybe with, you know, we can we can claw back some of that 15 goal deficit and that 17 point deficit. Um, I'm basically asking, you know, are we because our defence is back because, you know, our attack is a bit better? uh, We can uh, we can really, really challenge or is it too is too early to say? Yeah. Hi, Owen. I think that uh, we have a very good chance of, of having a much better attack next season. Uh, there's Jota, of course. Jota had a stop-start season uh, last time round. So, you know, we can expect a, a much bigger output from him. I was just looking at his stats. Um, he has a, he has a 0.67 uh, XG plus XGA. So that's expected goals plus ex- uh, expected assists uh, per game which is very high, and, and he, he matches that in, in his actual output. So with a, with, um, a full-strength defence, uh, whether it's Virgil, Kanate, Matip, um, Gomez, whoever is fit from the main guys, we'll be able to push up a much higher. And last season, Klopp dismantled the midfield to try and piece together uh, a, you know, the jigsaw in defence. And really, it failed, and that's why we had the the middle part of the season was dreadful. Um, uh, you know, not only did we lose our main defenders, we also lost our main midfielders because they were back in defence. I was screaming, uh, well, to myself, um, that uh, we should actually be playing Phillips and Reese Williams, and he eventually did. They were sitting on the bench while we were playing Henderson and uh, Fabinho in, at centre back, and um, it. it um, that, that took away our midfield. And then um, finally, when he was forced to to select uh, uh, Reese Williams and Phillips at centre-back, uh, you know, our results improved vastly because they are actually centre-backs. Um, you know, I love Klopp like every Liverpool fan does, but I thought that was that was a, a glaring error at the time. And it's, it's, it is typical of him. We've seen him uh, over the years. He's all, he'll always go for his strongest 11 players and he's he's always quite conservative when it comes to bringing in replacements he, he must have got stung at Dortmund when when he had to bring in um, second rank players and uh, you can see he fears that here so in terms of the the attack uh, Mane had a pretty poor season by his own standards last last year and um, uh, Bobby didn't weigh in with as many goals although he had played well um, 
and Salah is Salah, so he'll always score. So I, I think I, I would definitely agree with your, uh, with, you know, with your proposal or with your idea that uh, having the defence pushing up higher uh, will give us give our attackers and having a proper midfield this time um, will give our attack much more impetus. Yeah, great stuff, great stuff. Um, uh, yeah, interesting stat about about uh, Diego Jota, his goals plus assists per 90. If you actually just look at his Premier League uh, uh, form for us, it was at 0.73 goals plus assists per 90, which is excellent, because if you compare it to Sadio Mane, who, as you say, for his standard, had a, had a disappointing season, he had 0.58 goals plus assists per 90 minutes last season. So Diogo Jota 0.73 just in the Premier League was was absolutely superb. And then Harvey Elliott, just by comparison for Blackburn, he managed to get 0.59 at goals plus assists per 90 minutes. So this, you know, you would think that we would have more creativity. Sadio will be hopefully somewhere back to his best uh but uh, you know i'm 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 getting very excited liam about about this defence because with virgil ebu uh i love that nickname it, it was his mum who calls him ebu uh by the way which is uh, which is great it's nice that your mum sets your nickname uh, worldwide which is which is superb um but yeah so we've got virgil we've got ebu we've got joel matip uh, joe gomez uh, Nat Phillips, who I, I I really think is terrific, and of course uh, a guy called who James Milner calls Davo, and it took me ages to figure out who's Davo, and of course it's the forgotten, the lesser spotted Ben Davis at the back. But with those six centre backs, Liam, um, have we suddenly got the best central defenders in the entire world? Because I, I actually I've been thinking about this. I, I think we kind of have. I mean, you'd probably say we've got the best cohort of starting defenders. I mean, if you think about those first four you mentioned in terms of Van Dijk, Gomez, Van Dijk, Canate, Van Dijk, Matip, or Canate, Matip, Canate, Gomez, or Matip and Gomez as partnerships, they all seem very strong in terms of... Um, starting for a club like Liverpool. Obviously, you've got the... With the fact three of them were injured last season and Canate's had his injury struggles you've got the versatility to be able to play three four five six strong partnerships which is always a nice benefit um I don't I don't expect us to have that cohort at the start of the season I expect Ben Davis to go probably I think Sheffield United are interested in him it's it will probably be a nice six months for him. I think we all expected him to maybe play a few games in the Premier League, but obviously that didn't um, that didn't suffice. Obviously, Reese Williams as well. I think um, I think he'll be kept around as the fifth choice. Personally, I do I do see us selling um, Phillips for fifteen million if someone like Burnley or Brighton comes in with an offer. I think fifteen million's too good to turn down because that almost pays for. Um, half of Canate and obviously Phillips has been great for us but I think in the long term do we see Phillips starting for Liverpool for in four years time if you know Gerard comes in as manager I'm I'm not too sure uh, but I would agree with you in terms of when you look at this uh, group of central defenders at the moment in terms of Van Dijk, Canate, Gomez, Matip, Davis, 
Phillips, Williams, even I like Cometio. I think he's got a really good build. He's commanding at the back as well. I think if you look at those eight defenders, really, obviously Davis is probably going to leave. Maybe the same with Phillips. I think Williams and Cometio could benefit from low moves, but even with those front four, I think you would say even, for example, if it was Canate and Gomez, that's probably the second or third best partnership in the Premier League if we don't have Van Dijk, which again I think's a lovely benefit to have. You can take Van Dijk out and still have one of the best centre-back partnerships in the Premier League, so I would agree with you in terms of that sense. It's very exciting, isn't it? It's very exciting. Um, you know, other positive, another positive I, th- I thought uh, coming out of this pre-season, uh, Abdul, is it Simikas? Note the pronunciation. There's a stress on the middle syllable. Tsimikas. Okay, be careful with that one. Um, he's uh, he's looking really good. He's looking fit. He's looking like he he can uh, cause trouble down the left hand side. And of course, you know Andy Robertson's the best left back in the world, in my opinion, and many people's opinion. But uh, you know he looks like a a thoroughly capable man who looks like he's 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 on a bit of a mission abdul to to prove himself at liverpool it's great to see isn't it yeah absolutely and um it's interesting that you know he's pretty much got two appearances and suddenly andy robertson is on the bench just watching waiting waiting <laughs> but yeah um now nah, it's good to see Samikas um get some games and looking good form for once i think this this has been the most impressive part of his liverpool career so far He's really showing that he's um, a good attacking fullback, you know, modern fullback, gets up the pitch, puts in good crosses. He's smart in the final third situations. He's linking up well with the midfielders around him. So I saw a few bits of nice link up play with Naby. And um, I also saw him link up well with uh, Mane as well. But yeah, um, all he needs is just games. And uh, yeah, it's going to be hard to get those minutes with Andy Robertson now back to gobble them all up. But um, if Klopp is smart, uh, then hopefully this season he'll start to rotate both of them, give uh, Simikas some of the right games to give him and hopefully keep Robbo on his toes as well. Um, fingers crossed, touch wood, Robbo doesn't get any injuries because that feels long overdue, but it's good to know that we have a left-back in case if he does. Absolutely. Yeah, very, very good answer. Um Totally, Brian. Um, uh, the last question about about preseason. We're going to talk about other things for now, but uh, we've seen a lot of kids in action in the in the past uh, few uh, friendlies. So um, you know, lots of names there: Owen Beck, Cade Gordon, uh, Leighton Clarkson, Tyler Morton, uh, etc. Basically, uh, who has stood out for you? I mean, apart from the obvious Harvey Elliott, we're discounting him. Everyone knows about him, but the sort of out of the sort of lesser, uh, you know, the the more unknown youngsters, who stood out for you? Um. Oh. I forget his name now. Who was the kid who played on the wing, on the right wing? Is it, is that... Cade Gordon. That could have been him. 16 years old. Yeah, he, he looked uh, he looked good. Um, I mean, he looked, he, he had a decent game. Nobody really, I mean, I, I, I'm probably not the right guy to talk, to ask that question to because I was having a difficult enough time just watching our, uh, our, our uh, established players um, because of the quality of the, 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 the image I was watching for the, for the two things, but I think him, that guy, I think it was his name. I, I'll, I'll double check now. 
but um, yeah, I think he would be the one. Other, other than that, nobody really caught my eye. Other than obviously, I'm member the the member of the Harvey Elliott kind of cheer fan club. <laughs> that aside, they, they they all seemed fine. None of them had a bad game. They all seemed you know they slotted in nicely. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, anybody else? I'll open that question out to anyone else. Does anyone else have any uh, particular hopes? Uh, on uh, for any of our any of our young guns, I've got to say, um, got to shout out Owen Beck at left back as well. He's created two goals so far in preseason through his own work in the final third, just from putting in two crosses in pretty dead situations. So um, I'm sure that Klopp and Linders are probably giving him some praise in the background for that. Um, and I think uh, Leighton Clarkson and some of the other midfielders, Tyler Mawson. Who I think it's his first preseason with the Premier uh, with the first team, and um, Connor Bradley, the right back from Ireland, and there's another oh Jake Kane. So um, Tyler Morton, he impressed me in some of the training videos. He looked really sharp. He was making really quick decisions in some of the rondos, and I was thinking, wow, this kid is uh, really sharp of mind. And um, Connor Bradley, I think he's the one that everybody's talking about. It's going to make the step up if Nico Williams goes. So he's going to be the backup right back along with James Milner and Joe Gomez. Um, but yeah, he's, he's one that's really rated highly. They've already got an athletic article about him. Um, but looking at the way that that treated Cometio last season, it might be a touch of death, uh, the athletic article. But yeah, he's really highly rated in, um, in Ireland and Northern Ireland. Apparently he's like the best player uh, period to come out of that area of the world at the moment, according to some people. So... Yeah, keep an eye out on him. Um, but yeah, Cade Gordon, like Brian was saying, really, really impressive. Best 16-year-old in the country is what Derby fans were saying. And yeah, he's been playing really, really sharp football for his age. So yeah, I'm sure Klopp is very happy, but he's he's been trying not to say any names this preseason so that we don't get any ideas and start writing articles too soon. Though, yeah, great stuff. I mean, talking about Billy Cometio last season. I mean, this time last year, I was comparing him to Franco Baresi. Uh, so, you know, I, I do tend to get a bit excited this time of year. Um, oh, and Connor Bradley was the guy I was trying to think of, actually. He he did catch my eye. And, and I also seen his after-match interview, and he seems very well put together as a young fella. So he, he, he was the one that kind of stood out. Aha, excellent stuff. So, yeah, Con- Connor Bradley, okay, yeah, absolutely. Obviously the new Cafu. Um, excellent stuff. Well, let's, uh, let's, uh, let's move on from this uh, pre-season that will, you know, rumble on, trundle on for the next three weeks until the big kickoff against Norwich City uh, on the 14th of August, 5.30pm UK time. Before then, we have to think, you know, how how... I don't know how ready we are, you know, transfer strategy, these kind of things. Um, we're going to talk in more detail about particular links and stuff. But Fergus, given an, you know, a sort of overall picture for the over the next three weeks, what would you like to see happen? Um, well, there's a very big difference in what I'd like to see happen and what uh, will probably happen. Um, <laughs> I'll start with uh, what I think will probably happen, which is... Um, I think uh, well, Liverpool uh, compete in uh, on a different um, level to Man City and Chelsea and Man United, in that uh, you know we rely on coaching to get our team uh, to the top, 
whereas they, they rely less on coaching and more on signing players, um, especially Man United. You know, they've got a, a don't even have a, a, a top-level coach. Um, Chelsea do now. Chelsea are going to be dangerous this season. Thomas Tuchel proved his worth last season by winning the Champions League. So, you know, they've got a great coach plus a huge checkbook. Man City as well have a great coach and a huge checkbook. Liverpool just have a great coach and, uh, you know, and only just a, a moderate-sized checkbook. So, you know, what will happen, I think, in the coming... I think that, that there's not going to be any big signings. There might be one um, sort of mid-range signing of the type Kunate type fee, if that. But you can see from how Klopp is juggling his squad, you know, playing Harvey Elliott in midfield. By the way, I, he, he, I thought he, he, I think he might be slightly better on the left side of the midfield three rather than the right yesterday. On the right of the midfield three, he's very left-footed Harvey Elliott. So on the right of the midfield three, he can obviously get shots away because um, his left foot is closer to the goal. But uh, that's not really what our midfield three do. They're not there to get the shots away. So, uh, But he played one beautiful uh, left-footed ball. He just dinked it in with his left foot um, when he was on the left side of the midfield three yesterday, you know, at a certain point of the game. Um, so, you know, but you can see from, um, from uh, that and from um, Oxlade-Chamberlain playing in the false nine that... Um, you know, it, it looks like that's a clue to that we won't be signing anyone for those areas. We may not even sign a replacement for Wijnaldum. Look, at, um, there's Curtis Jones can come in. Uh, we have Keita. Keita stood out. He was really good. But we've seen him play really good in flashes before. We just need him to put a whole season together. You know, Liverpool has a huge wage bill. Uh, um, Oxley, Chamberlain and um, Naby Keita are two of the highest paid players. Uh, behind, I think they're on 140,000 a week. Um, uh, Cater might be on, on 180,000 a week, and um, or, or 160 anyway. And uh, Sal is our highest-paid player on 200,000. So two of our highest-paid players are Oxlade and um, Cater. So you know we really need to start seeing re um, performance from them and output. And so. <clears throat> I'm pretty sure that, well, my view is that um, we're not going to see any any major signings. The squad uh, will be as it is, and we're going to have to run with it. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I don't, um, that's probably how, how, you know, as for big major signings, I just wouldn't hold, hold out any hope for it at all. Yeah, I mean, I w I think, Fergus, what they were touching on there about Oxlade-Chamberlain and Harvey Elliott filling in roles in midfield and in the forward line, it's kind of a question I wanted to ask you guys. Have you ever heard of the saying, don't, I think it's, don't put circular pegs in square holes or the other way around, don't put square pegs in circle holes or something. Do you not feel that's kind of what that is in terms of putting... Oxley Chamberlain is a false nine where against Mines he didn't seem to have much clue. As you said, he's one of our highest wage earners. I don't particularly see him having much as a future and to past next season with his contract expiring in 2023. I don't think we're going to give him a, a new major money contract anytime soon. So I think you've got 
a season left of him before you either decide to pull the trigger in terms of selling him or maybe he has a good season this year. And then Harvey Elliott, I mean, he's looked good in midfield, but then again, are we really going to rely on Harvey Elliott to replace Wijnaldum? I'd say it's not a, it's not a um, ideal situation, but that's the situation Liverpool is in financially, especially with the the, the, the stadium being closed all last season. So, um, and Klopp is... Klopp, if, if there's any coach who can do it, who can, um, you know, square pegs and round holes or whatever, um, if, if he can make it work, you know, we've seen Wijnaldum converted from a, a number 10 to a, a more defensive midfield. You know, he, he's able to, um, to, to convert players by coaching. So it, it's, it's not necessarily what we would like, but it's really a necessity. Uh, and that's the way I see it. I think with uh, Ox, I mean, everybody in the football world has has thought that there's a really, really good player there. Um, and he's only got one year left on, on his contract anyway. And I think it'd be difficult to pan him off. I, I personally think he does his best work when he's through the center, through the middle. Uh, anytime you stick him out on the left as a kind of you know, replacement left wing forward, he's ineffective at best. For me, anyway. Um, and so, I mean, I'm just thinking going into this new season, we're, we're not, we, we, okay, we, we're missing Genie, right? It's a big, it's a big miss. But we're coming back with hopefully Verge and, and Joe, if not two of them, one of them, and a new brilliant centre back. So I don't think we've been weakened in any way. And if, and if these, play, these fringe players can get some more time on the pitch, um, I don't think we're in as a weak of a position as some people out there are suggesting. I feel very much the same. Um, I was saying many, many moons ago, many podcasts ago, that our situation in midfield, it it does leave a few questions. Um, And if you do get somebody up into form, whether it's Oxlade or Cater, they could eat up the minutes that Genie is leaving behind. Or Curtis Jones. We, We don't really talk about Curtis Jones at the moment for some reason. But yeah, he also had really good first kind of season with the first team got like 20 plus appearances played some really good solid games important games for us and I feel like each one of them Curtis Oxlade and Naby they all have a particular shout for that last position in midfield but you you do still wonder if Liverpool will make a signing because we had that kind of Oh, don't worry about it. We've got a player who can play their mentality around the centre-back situation last season. Came back to bite us massively. You could argue that that was a freak situation and it's never going to happen again. And you could also say that we've got more depth in centre-midfield than we ever had at centre-back last season. But it's still a question mark. And with the margins in the Premier League where they are right now, with the signings that other teams are making, you've got to wonder if... um, Klopp and Edwards have had those conversations about whether it's a risk that they can take or whether it's a risk that they can't take. I think at the moment, Touchwood again, based on how preseason's going, based on the fact that we started preseason with all of our fringe players, all of our injured players, all back from day one. Um, even Salah and Mane got a big, big rest this summer. It's, it's been a really good rest summer for us, I think. So based on that, I think we're still more in the camp of let's see what our midfielders can provide before we pull the trigger or anything. I think we might, if we do make a signing, we'll make it late, like maybe first week of the season. And that will only be if um, 
if Henderson, Fabinho, Thiago all come back and maybe one of them's got a niggle, I think, Owen, you've been saying interestingly that you feel like if we do get another midfielder, it needs to be somebody who can play deep. And right now we only really have Fabinho and Henderson who can play in the deeper role in midfield. So I think it might be somewhere that Klopp is having a look at. But I can't think of a target off the top of my head who can come in and play that deeper role and also be an option for the eight position and also be better than all of the eights that we already have at the moment in Klopp, uh, sorry, in Cater and Curtis and Oxlade. So it's really hard for me to see who this target is. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if we did do something. But yeah, let's let's just see how it goes. Um, talking about Ox in centre forward, I think it's one thing I wanted to highlight is Pep Guardiola did the exact same thing last season, didn't he? He started playing um, Kevin De Bruyne as a centre forward for Man City in all of their really big games because, you know, he felt that obviously it's different with Klopp. You've got Firmino, who's definitely going to come back in and play there. But you've also got Jota, who's just come back pre-season literally a day ago. But then you've got Origi and then you've got Minamino as an option there for centre forward. So I think he feels that Oxlade's form at the moment is best to get him out on a pitch. And that false nine position kind of suits his qualities anyways. But if we see it in the season going forward, who knows? Um, but yeah, it's good to just get Oxley out on the pitch. And yeah, I don't know if he's got a year left on his contract, but yeah, he really needs to kick on now. There's, there, there really isn't any more excuse. He needs to perform otherwise out the door, basically. Well, I've been looking at Oxley Chamberlain. I looked at him uh, in the last podcast as well. I mean, his actual playing time in minutes in his entire career, um, he's only once when he was 16, playing in League One for Southampton, got more than 2,000 minutes a season. Bear in mind that Jeannie Wijnaldum, by comparison, uh, on the other extreme of the scale, averaged about 3,800 minutes per season in the last three seasons for Liverpool. Uh, he's only managed, uh, Chamberlain has only managed 2,300 minutes uh, once in his career when he was 16. Um, then, you know, if you look at sort of the last five years, obviously he had a bad injury, but his first season for us, he got 1,493 minutes. Uh, so that was before his big injury, but he was still injured a lot. And then uh, 85 minutes, 21 minutes, 1,485 minutes in the season we finished first, 1920. And then 253 minutes last season. That's just in the Premier League. Uh, but uh, yeah, so Chamberlain, I don't know. I'm not convinced he will stay fit. And that is uh, just before bringing uh, Fergus. Um, uh, you know, that's my main concern about him, about Cater. I've, I've also mentioned that before. Uh, Cater played uh, last season uh, uh, 520 minutes in the Premier League. Um, I think we got so many injured Injury-prone players, not just those two, but uh, Henderson, uh, Fabinho, Milner. Now he gets gets the odd knock. Uh, they're all injury-prone, and 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 what I'd, I'm really terrified about is that we we basically will have no number six, uh, or we end up playing you know a midfield that includes both Curtis Jones and Harvey Elliott for a long time because everyone else is out injured. I don't know, this is my big fear and I and I would choose a number six. I think that's an absolute priority for a signing. I don't know. What do you make of it, Fergus? Um, well, Thiago can, can fill in at number six if necessary. We know he doesn't have the legs of uh, Fabinho. 
or Henderson, but he, he can certainly play the position and he can do it well from a creative side. He's also pretty good in interceptions and tackles, but, you know, we just know that he's not, he's not as quick as the other two. Um, but just in terms of, just to, to summarise my, my view on, the, on Liverpool transfer policy, well, first of all, the pandemic has really hit their possibilities of, of getting rid of fringe, fringe players. Um, you know, whereas before we would have shipped on all of these fringe players um, for decent money, the ones that aren't really going going to make much of an impact in the first team, such as Shakiri, such as Origi, such as um, Harry Wilson, uh, Gruich has gone. But I mean, that, uh, that that's also impacted our ability to sign players this season. So I don't necessarily see us getting anyone significant in. Maybe one more signing, that's it. But when it comes to Liverpool signing, it's always an opportunist signing. They only sign people when there's a leverage, as in they're running out of a co- co- run out of contract, as in Thiago, or um, uh, remarkably cheap w- with a, um, a, a sell-on, um, a release clause like Canate. So Liverpool don't compete at the top end where there's a where there's an auction going on. They look for leverage where a player is is, is uh, available at a discount, and that's that's the moneyball way, and that's the way FSG has always operated, and so far it's worked. Well, this is this is the thing. This is very very interesting. This is something that does um, divide Liverpool fans, and, I, and I'd like to get uh, um, all of your thoughts on this. Okay, transfer strategy. If you look at it as as a whole, I, I'm with Fergus. I think it works. I'm, I'm much maligned uh, by some transfer strategy because we don't compete for the hundred million signings, uh, like uh, for example Harry Kane apparently and Jack Grealish this summer. Fabulous players, uh, but. I think that the strategy has worked very well. And I looked at all of our signings since we won the league uh, at the end of the 1920 season, only a year ago when we picked up the trophy, of course. Um, So in 1920, we signed Minamino, uh, Seth Vandenberg, and we got Andy Lonergan and Adrian on a free. That was after winning the Champions League. And of course, in January, we got Minamino. And then uh, we also we brought in Jota, 44.7 million euros. Uh, Kabak on a loan, Ben Davis 1.85 million euros, Tsimikas 13 million euros, I forgot he was that expensive, um, Thiago 22 million euros and Konate 40 million euros. So um, I think we've done well, I think this this strategy is a very, is a very good one because we end up getting bargain players like if we for example got Bowen Jared Bowen for around about 20 million uh I think he could be a very very smart signing and you know just as effective as someone who you could equally spend millions and millions on I mean it was just it was just the other day that Andy Robertson uh celebrated his uh, I think it was four year anniversary of being a Liverpool player we got him of course for 8 million so so you know, shopping in the bargain bin has brought us great success. I don't personally understand all of the the venom and and the you know and the animosity towards our owners for not spending big when we're you know it it really works. On the other hand, um, I do understand the argument that. Um, you know, uh, you know, on the other side, for example, you know, we don't spend as much as Brighton, we don't spend as much as Villa, and we really should be spending more as 
the fifth richest club in the world, apparently, or the third richest, depends who you're, who you're asking. Um, so I don't know, anyone can jump in on that. What do you think about the transfer strategy? Are you happy to continue as we're going, or would you like us to be a, a little bit less frugal? Um, I'll jump in on that one. I think, I think it's difficult. I think we've spoken about this before when I've been on the past, that in terms of spending money doesn't seem to work for us really and i don't think it's necessary when we've had to spend money we've spent the money right i'm thinking van dyke allison they're the two big money signings you think of about at liverpool and obviously the best center back in the world and arguably the best goalkeeper in the world in my opinion he is but obviously there's all black etc well that's another conversation one of the best goalkeepers in the world whoever you believe he's definitely in that conversation and then obviously as you've spoken about in recent summers we've gone for Thiago who's a world-class name for a good fee I think looking around that sort of area in terms of signings is we don't want to be spending 70 million quid on um a striker that you know is not going to play i don't think that makes sense i think the only time you're going to see liverpool spend big money is when when an opening arises for example i mean you could maybe say why naldum's one of those openings arising because obviously since he came in through the door one of klopp's first signings he's been he's been in unmovable he's been a part of the furniture really he's the big nights the big games he's always been a part of them so I think maybe you could argue there that we do need to sign a midfielder because, as you mentioned, um, Ox and Cater, as much as I love Cater, and I think Ox is a good player, I just don't think they've got the ability to play 3,000 minutes a season. We need someone that's reliable, available season. I think Sol's got that availability. Maybe there's other options that have got the availability to play 40 games a season and then when you know you need to rotate which we will if we want to go in on all competitions this season we're going to need to rotate we're going to need some more players like Curtis like Cater I think we keep one of Cater or Ox I don't think both of them are necessary personally because you've still got Milner for another season and I think at times Milner's more available than the two of them as well so I think that's something to consider so Obviously, there's Henderson as well who might leave, but I don't see that. I think the transfer policy works. I don't think we should be spending apiths of money on someone from, I don't know, Borussia Dortmund, for example, someone like a Jude Bellingham that's going to cost £80 million, as good as he would be, someone like Jude Bellingham. I'm sure everyone in this um, on this podcast today would take Jude Bellingham at Liverpool in a heartbeat, but he's going to cost us a... Uh, a pretty a pretty big fee i don't think that's the way to go i think someone with the availability of a similar profile to wynaldon when he came in between 25 and 40 million would make perfect sense but that's what liverpool do good it works if something doesn't need fixing then just leave it as it is it it works but there's the argument that as you say brighton outspenders villa outspenders Again, you look at where Arsenal are, they're outspending us, and again, they're in a worse financial situation than us. It, it, does, it does get frustrating because obviously we are, we, we picture ourselves as probably top four biggest clubs in the world. I'm thinking Madrid, Bayern, Barca, 
and then Liverpool United in that conversation as well. I think we like to put ourselves in that conversation. I think we are in that conversation. And then where when they're linked with the big names, although Bayern Munich don't do it too much, but linked with the big name signings, I think we should feel like we're in that conversation as well. Obviously, I think Thiago kind of changed that a little bit. It's rare you see us shopping in that top category of midfielders. I feel we're always good at signing midfielders younger, you know, 23, 24, and then bringing them on. And then, you know, Wijnaldum's gone to PSG as one of the most sought-after midfielders in the world, really. So I've babbled on that a little bit. But I agree with what you're saying on the transfer policy. It does work, but it does get a little frustrating when, you know, it doesn't feel like we're in a particularly precarious financial situation after COVID compared to some other clubs and you know you've got this five hundred million pound investment from Redbird Capital coming to the club and we were promised a bit of investment from that and that was going to take care of, you know, some of the financial burden from COVID and Konate is a good start, but I do think we do need to press on with the transfer market. As someone said, got the got the saying right, I don't think we should be putting square pegs in round holes. It should be we should be signing a forward, we should be signing a midfielder, but I think it's important that we do it right and don't change from what we know. Interesting stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, I, did, um, I did Google uh, uh, the, 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 the expression square pegs and round holes. Apparently the first instance uh, in, in, in any book uh, was in 1836. So there you go. Bit of a sidetrack in there. So, um, but yeah, I mean, givemesport.com. Um respected website that it is i've never heard of it actually but uh uh they they put liverpool as having spent 153.91 million pounds uh as in the since 1718 um and if you compare that to for example sorry minus 153.91 so a profit profit no We've spent, oh God, it's hard to read this, 153.91 million. Apparently that's our net spend. It seems particularly high. Chelsea at 209.15 million. Brighton, 212.35 million. Everton, 233.92 million. All of this, uh, and it goes up to number one, is Manchester United with 457.6 million. So according to GiveMeSport.com, since 1718, we are some 300 million uh, net spend behind Man United, 250 million behind Man City. Uh, but then it gets to like 130 million behind Villa, 120 million behind Arsenal. Um, and does that bother anybody? I mean, it doesn't bother me because I think we're we're competitive. I think we're smarter than anyone else. So it doesn't bother me at all. Apparently, we're tenth on the list, Brian. Um, no, it doesn't bother. It bothers me when people just try. People, modern football fans seem to have a a real. Um, they do not like to see football clubs make money <laughs> or be in profit. And I'm I'm kind of reminded. I've been following what's been happening in Spain all, all summer you know, with Messi and Barcelona and Real Madrid, and uh, those clubs are in absolute dire straits. And uh, a lot of football clubs are managed extremely badly financially. Um, and you know, 
these clubs can just literally pop out of existence. Like people think, oh, well, they will never go away. Well, you know, if you can't pay your bills, uh, you know, they will. And, uh, you know, with Liverpool, people are mentioning that we haven't spent money, you know, over those years. But, you know, we've built a we've built a new stand. Um, we built a brand new training uh, facility. We have the highest, if not one of the highest wage bills in the in the league uh we are competing for the title year in year out i mean last year's a complete anomaly uh we're back at the where we need to be in europe um and we have a when our squad's fit we have a brilliant squad i mean i i'm always reminded of when i was frustrated as a liverpool fan that always seemed to be that we would get these great players they would come in and they get poached just as they're reaching uh, peak form some other team would just pick one of them off and you're always thinking well what would it be like if all those players could have just played together and he didn't go to Barcelona or he didn't go to Bayern Munich and Klopp you know when he first came here he said that he wanted to turn Liverpool into a destination and not a stepping stone and that's exactly what we were for the longest you know at all my time watching Liverpool we were a destination we were a stepping stone club and most of the time we were a one player possibly two player club and now we're not we you know we've got quality right through the whole starting 11 and uh Klopp's obviously a guy who really values um loyalty and uh he puts a lot of faith in his boys and he 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 doesn't approach the squad like it's championship manager and just pops a player in there and takes that one out he he he, he sticks by his his guys and i think the last couple of seasons that we haven't really signed any players because he's just extended a lot of the players that we had there we like we we had a perfect team which there was no real after you put um uh, Allison and Van Dyke into our squad i think everybody was pretty happy with what we got in the squad and the starting 11 and it's only now that we're all starting to think, well, you know, a lot of these players are pushing on. They're yeah, becoming, you know, they're, they're closing to 30 now rather than 24. And there's a there's a need for a refresh, but not a huge refresh, maybe just a couple of faces here or there. And, you know, one thing that's that really gives I know FSG get a lot of stick uh, and they and they've made some pretty bad decisions over the past uh, few years. But, I mean, in business, you're always going to make bad decisions. It's Unfortunately, it's the way it goes. One thing, though, I I do think they're good custodians of the club in terms of financially. Uh, Edwards always gets the best deal uh, of the summer, you know, when, when we look back and, and all of the clubs and their fans all look towards us and say, God, why can we not just be like Liverpool? Just get the business done early. They always seem to be picking the right players. And, um, you know, say what you like about FSG. When they took over, we were staring down the barrel of, you know, we were just such a bad place financially. And now they've increased the value of the club until, like, we're a billion-dollar club now. So, I mean, I think the timing, when the time is right and the right players are there, I, I don't think Klopp or, or the owners are um, they're shy away from getting the checkbook out. Um, it just so happens they're very good at, balancing the books and and running the business side of things good and and i think they should be given some credit for that speaking about balancing the books uh, harry wilson just confirmed uh well paul joyce has just tweeted he's he's left the training camp to go and sign for fulham for 12 million pounds so 
that's the other side of the whole transfer business. We um we definitely bring the money in because I think what we we sold Gruwich and Awonyi for about 17 million put together, 12 million there from Wilson. That's about 29 million. Before that, we sold uh, Camille Grabara and some other player for about five million roughly. So we've bought in about we've already recouped about most of Konate's fee um, just from sending selling just a, a, f- a few bits of Deadwood. Um, talking about the entire transfer policy in general, though, y- you guys are completely right. Um, and one thing I'd also add is um, I don't think people try and like define Liverpool's policy in a transfer market like with one kind of like big label like um sell before you buy or you know whatever the opposite of that is and i don't think it's that simple for liverpool i think we have over the last decade ever since fsg steps in we've made ourselves like brian said a really really good uh institution again um right through from the football side through to the business side we make good decisions um, which are going to have a long-term positive impact for the team, or maybe even a medium-term one, somebody like Thiago, but something which is going to be overall benefit a benefit to the team. And when, when that first kind of checkpoint is ticked off, that it's going to be a positive to the team, that's when the price starts to be a question. So is it going to be enough of a positive to the team that we're going to spend $75 million on him? In the case of Virgil van Dijk, then yeah, absolutely was. Let's get it wrapped up then. Let's do it. So Liverpool will do that situation. Um, but then in, with other players and other situations, um, when you add the, the price into it, then the positives start to wash away and then the club doesn't make a decision like that. And I'm trying to think of one off the top of my head, but I'm sure we've been involved in a few transfer sagas over the years with Klopp where the player was there and it's clear that Liverpool wanted him. For, uh, Timo Werner, for example, last season, it was clear that we wanted him. It's clear that Klopp wanted him. But it was also clear that Leipzig got a price from Chelsea that we weren't going to match. So we just said, no, no thanks, but we're not going to go for it. And then we stepped up and we got Diogo Jossa for less money than that, but also a similarly big transfer fee. But that was an opportunity which I think Edwards' laptop highlighted and said, this guy is getting great numbers at Wolves. He is prime for a move. Um, no other club is really looking at him right now. It might be a bit expensive, but if Liverpool go in there right now, no other club is looking to do it. We can do it for a good price. We'll, we'll make Wolves happy. We're also quite happy with that price, and we're going to get a lot of positives out of him going forward for the next few years. So Liverpool stepped up and they made that signing. And that's the kind of signings that Liverpool tend to make. Um, it's not really so much about the price. It's about the opportunity and whether the player is going to have a, a positive impact. So Andy Robertson, 8 million, but that made sense on every single level. So we did that one really quick, got that sorted. Fabinho, out of nowhere, 40 million signing, but we got that sorted because we needed a replacement with Emre going. Thiago, age-wise, yeah, maybe not the best opportunity, but you know, price-wise and also the fact that he wanted to leave Bayern specifically for us and he's a profile of midfielder that we didn't need, that we didn't have. So it made sense for us in that situation. Mo Salah, you could go right the way through the Liverpool team. It's just lots of smart, calculated decisions. And that's why the Saul rumour, when you started hearing that a few weeks ago, I thought that maybe that one had some legs to it because that one seemed like another opportunity, a big European midfielder, big pedigree, who a lot of big clubs have chased in the past. 
But right now, for a specific reason, that all of the La Liga clubs just don't have any money and they all want money. Um, a lot of clubs were passing up on the opportunity to sign him. So I thought maybe that was a real midfield signing that we could have made. And maybe we still might make it. But um, yeah, I, I think Liverpool always... Edwards has, has given me enough confidence in the incomings that if we do make a move, I'm confident that if we if we make it, it's it's going to be a good move for us, basically. Yeah, excellent stuff. Yeah, I mean, breaking news about Harry Wilson. That's uh, that's great to have uh, have that on on cop on a twenty nine million, as you said, raised from them is absolutely superb. Saul, um, twenty six years old to, uh, and two hundred and forty five days, so he's uh, he's uh, yeah, you know, towards twenty seven years old. Um, he's an exciting possibility. Fergus, you wanted to come in. Yeah, just on one thing as well, when it comes to transfers and the transfer market in general, I think FSG has seen the way the wind is blowing in terms of transfer fees. Well, not only has it, the transfer market is, is collapsing, it's, it's imploding. Um, first of all, you no longer have um, the big guns like Barcelona and Real Madrid throwing cash around. They don't have it. Um, secondly, you're seeing that... Um, the, the the requirement to pay a transfer fee is 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 lessening. I mean, next, when has it happened that the two two brightest young stars on the planet, as in Haaland and Mbappe, are both free next season and they're both 22 or under? So, yeah. there, there's, really, there's, really there's interesting a, that. Yeah, there's maybe Liverpool are just thinking, well, you know, this, or FSG is thinking, this is like American sports. You know, we can spend our money on wages. We don't need to waste money on transfers. It's a really interesting point. Yeah, absolutely. And there's something about the coldness of, of you know, our business approach as well. I, I just wonder about, I mean, mentioned Spain, but France as well. There's, there's an extraordinary amount of talent in France uh, at the moment, as there always has been. Uh, but, uh, you know, they're, they're, you would think as we move towards the end of the transfer window those french clubs will become more and more desperate to offload players and so the price will presumably go down and down and i am you know thinking from um you know from a from a a cold business perspective that towards the end of the transfer window it could be worth waiting for you know to snap up uh, the bright young talents uh from the uh, you know incredible talent pool that is France as well. Um, I'm so I'm relaxed uh, about it. Uh, Norwich is three weeks away. Uh, we'll see what happens, and then of course the the window. I think it shuts at the end of August. Um, so yeah, I, I might be wrong with that, but uh, either way, I I'm pretty relaxed. I'm glad to know that you all are too, really. Um, so yeah, I mean you know just the last question then for everybody. Um, it's just, you know, your dreams at this stage. We started this podcast with a beautiful poem by Langston Hughes about dreams. And uh, yeah, I'm going to start with you, Liam. I'm going to go in reverse alphabetical order. Uh, what are your dreams for this season? Um, a quadruple. <laughs> if I'm honest. <laughs> at but, least. But no, if I'm, uh, if I'm realistic, I just... I'd say, well, we could win a quadruple. I'm not saying we couldn't. Obviously, the quality we've got, if we add to what we've got with a 
with a couple of good signings, I'd never say never. But if I'm if I'm honest, I'd say I'd like to see us win something. Is what I'd say. Obviously, you you hope for the um, the big two, the Premier League, the Champions League. One of those would be excellent to win one of those again. I know I'm probably on the opposite side of the the field on um, domestic cups, but I'd like to see us. Um, have a go in the domestic cups as well. I think you've mentioned some of the kids in the podcast today. Uh, Beck, Bradley, Gordon. It'd be good to see those get chances. But also, you know, as a whole, maybe give some of the the bigger players talking about the depth we've got runs in that competition as well. I think when you look back at the, um, the big teams in the past, you know, that leave a legacy in their time, they've all won domestic cup competitions as part of, you know, the Champions League and Premier League triumphs as well. So I'd like to see us give those a go. But obviously if we could do a Champions League and Premier League double, forget the cups. I'm not I'm not gonna be interested in those, but to stick a couple of those in his back pocket would be nice as well. So I'll say winning one of the Champions League or Premier League first and foremost and then anything else is a bonus, but it would be nice to have a good go in those domestic cup competitions. Excellent stuff. Setting the bar high. Uh, what about you, Fergus? What are you dreaming about? Yeah, I'd, I'd go part of the way with Liam there. Definitely, <clears throat> I'd just settle for a double of uh, Premier League and Champions League. Uh, that would be great. And I think that's probably our target every season. It will take uh, Man City and Chelsea to have a bit of an off-season for that to happen. But I see us definitely top, top four this season. Uh, probably top three at least. Um I think Man, Man United are still hobbled by their coaching, even though they, sp- they spend money in the transport, transfer market. I suppose the other dream is really, and it feels like a dream, would be to have full stadiums all season. I think to have a full Anfield all season would, will give us a huge um, advantage, as it usually does and didn't last season. So, you know, that's really a, a dream and a prayer to have, have full stadiums all season. Yeah, that's a huge one. That's a really good point. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the effect on Bobby Firmino and Sadio Mane of having all of the fans in, or as many as possible, I think they 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 love it. They feed off the crowd. Those two, um, and they could hold the key, mate, possibly um, to this season if they play well. We're going to do really well. I don't know, Brian. Well, what about you? Are you? I, you know, I don't know. Are you? Do you daydream? Do you dream of the in the night of 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 the Hendo Shuffle? Yeah, I dream. I am a dreamer. <laughs> I uh, I want it all. I hope we come. I'm just really look. I think Fergus um, really nailed it about fans. I God, I really hope the fans are in um, in the stadiums for the for the majority or all of this, all of the season because i i'm the eternal optimist and even i couldn't spin that shit that we watched <laughs> last season it's just not the same with no fans even the pipe music the pipe sounds doesn't work as soon as you have like two thousand people there it just totally changes everything that's one of the reasons why i enjoyed the euros um so much so um i I mean, look, this is our biggest challenge. We have to reestablish ourselves. People will be doubting us now. I'm sure Klopp uh, will be saying to the boys, you know, it's time to get angry again. It's time to kind of really put our mark on, on World Cup. And I want us to play every game like it's a Champions League final from start to finish. I want to compete for everything. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to it. And I think we've got, I think if we can make, like nobody else has signed anybody. 
just yet, except for Sancho, right? Well, good for them. Um, I do expect us to maybe put one or two new faces in before the end of the the window shuts. I'm I'm pretty sure on that. And um, you know, I, I think we're good to go, and I, I can't wait for us to get stuck in. And and the fixture list has been kind. And one other thing that we haven't mentioned, our new kit is awesome absolutely awesome i didn't like last season's kit i tried to convince myself to like the baby blue it was horrible it was just a complete disaster the new home kit and the away kit is absolute mint so i think that's going to have a big big effect on our results great stuff yeah it's growing on me that the kits the home kits with the orange i thought it was a bit too roma uh, but now I see it, you know, I, I, I do think it's pretty funky. It is growing for me. It's gone from a from a 2 out of 10 to maybe a 5, but I am a, a hard man to please. Uh, Abdul, um, uh, what, are you, what are you dreaming of these days? Yeah, so um, quadruple, absolutely, Liam. Would love that. Uh, definitely a big, I mean, if, if you had to cut them down, then yeah, Premier League and Champions League ideal run in both of those you know reassert ourselves all the way through the season as you know the best team in the league slash very marginal second best to a man city who might run away from it um definitely top three at the very least i'd be disappointed if he didn't get top three um questions would have to be asked if he didn't get top three basically um but yeah on on a more just like normal level what i really hope to see is just no injuries really as as minimal injuries as possible i really want to see all of these players given a really fair crack of the whip by klopp so i'm talking about your caters and your oxalates if if they are injury free i really want to see them given a good opportunity i want to see klopp employ more rotation because there's a lot of talent in our squad who doesn't really get as much opportunity to show their talent because of the situation that the squad has been in in the last year and a bit and also before that, probably just because of the form of the starting eleven, you don't want to drop players who are in form. But I would love to see Klopp just rotate the team a bit more like Pep does with his team and Tuchel does with their team at Chelsea. Just want to see our players, you know, because we've got some talented guys here, even the likes of Minamino. I'd love to see him get more games. Cater, I'd love to see him play himself into some form. Oxlade, I'd love to see him play himself into some form and show us that thunderous strike that he has on him. Firmino, Jota, I'd love to see them take a new step. Mane, hopefully get back to his best. Salah, just more of the same, please. Trent, you know, hope he proves a point to the England national team, makes that place his own for the World Cup in 12 months or whatever. Robbo, hopefully no injuries, just more of the same. Alisson, cut out the niggly injuries, you know, more of the same. Virgil comes back top form. Joe Gomez comes back top form. Matip comes back top form. Kanate shows top form. If all of that happens, then there's literally no way Liverpool don't win the quadruple because there's just so much quality in that squad. Fabinho, Thiago, Henderson, they all come back top form. We're just going to run away with it. Nobody can stop us. That's the way that I see it. That's my ultimate dream. Excellent stuff. Yeah, I think it's the same every year, really. If you, if you have luck with injuries, then... Uh, you know, it, it helps an extraordinary amount. Um, they will happen, injuries, but hopefully we won't be decimated like last season. Uh, for me, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm dreaming big. Um, I do think that if we can stay injury-free, then yes, we, we do have all of the 
uh, tools. We've almost got all of the tools to, to compete on all fronts, but I can't see us doing so unless we get a dynamic defensive destroyer midfielder a la Bissouma, that type of profile who's really going to and also, hopefully, a pacey player like Jared Bowen or someone who's really fast. Jared Bowen was West Ham's fastest player. Uh, in fact, the fastest player in, in, in the Premier League uh, at the end of the 1920 season. And then last season as well, he, he clocked uh, really at top, 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 top speed. He's, he's one of the best, one of the fastest players in the Premier League. A fast attacker and a dynamic midfielder. And, and, and the quadruple is basically ours. Um, I want to thank you all uh, in alphabetical order, Abdul, Brian, Fergus and Liam. I want to thank all of our lovely listeners for, for tuning in. This is season four of Cop On. We're still going to be ad free. We're going to be available for free. If you want to be a guest, you want to get involved, coponpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, but thank you all for listening. Uh, it's really exciting to be back. And, uh, you know, this pre-season, hopefully it's, uh, it's going to bubble into a glorious buff bourguignon of, of delight. Uh, thank you, everybody. And, uh, yeah, have a, have, have a glorious day. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Cheers.